I'm Tucker Carlson, and we need to get PY on deal or no deal. Share this podcast with a friend, give it a rating on Spotify, and by the end of the year, you can see PY next to Grant Denyer. But on Tucker Carlson's and I, we're talking the big issues. Billy Hughes. I am livid. <laughs> Go on, the canes. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's good value. Um. Wow. So 1914. A lot happens in the sporting front. Not much happens mm. in the in the in, in the World War front. Well, apart from um, the the football match, we then go to 1915, and we go to April of 1915. Do you remember what happens in April of 1915? If you know, that's Gallipoli. It's Gallipoli. Right, yeah. Mm. So day. Yes. So a very quick summary of Gallipoli. Like what strategically are they trying to do? Again. I don't think our teachers in primary school really understood the geopolitical landscape when we were taught it. <laughs> so they just wanted to, like, you know, get the beach and, um, you know, like, we're going to we're gonna take down Germany by, like, invading Turkey. Like, I, I, like, yeah, never once did I stop to ask the question, why they actually do, like... Mm. And again, like, are we the bad guys? We invaded... We invaded a country. Mm. Um, anyway, so basically the whole aim behind Gallipoli, it's the idea of someone who's very well known in history. Do you know who, who's behind the idea of Gallipoli? Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. And the idea is, is that by beating the Ottoman Empire in Turkey, we can then open up a supply route to Russia. So we're stuck on two fronts. What's our solution? Let's do a third front. Mm. And if that third mm. front is a success, we can supply Russia. Supply beats, uh, they won't win the, on the east, and then we can win on the west. And it's kind of this like really weird like loop around. Now, Britain was supposed to be the ones leading this, but a lot of the Anzacs were doing training in Cairo. So they then got redirected from Cairo into the Dardanelles. The Dardanelles is the little passage of water that separates Asian Turkey from European Turkey. Hmm. Um, and so, again, stop for a quick haircut along the way. Weren't they called the Dardanelles, though, as well? Like the, the actual name of the soldiers? Probably. I don't know. I remember seeing that on posters and stuff in school. Probably. like, like yeah, Calling like, the Dardanelles. It was... So we're saying again? Calling the Dardanelles. Yeah, probably. Like, I think that, yeah, that sounds about right. So... Sounds like a bird. <laughs> Don't you think? The Dardanelle. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. So... But it's a river. <laughs> it's not a river. It's passage a... Passage of water. Yeah, it's a passage of water that is connected to the ocean. I guess you could call it a river, actually, now that I think about it. Wait, what um, else would it... What else would it be? <laughs> well, because it, it separates two continents. So it's a canal. Kind of a like... canal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, canal, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Is the canal still a river, though? Or does a I river need the to stop somewhere? canal might have been a man-made <laughs> thing. No, like, Panama Canal was natural until they yeah. kind of finished the man... Like, they, it was natural to begin with, and then they, like, the French helped make it man-made mm. and finished the job off. Mm. But it went all the way through, didn't it? And then they just trimmed the edges, or did they... No, I think, I think they made it go all the way through. Oh, so then maybe... Maybe it was a river until it went all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Semantics. Now, obviously, the, the Anzacs stormed the beaches of Gallipoli in April, well, April 25th, uh, 1915. <laughs> um, and it's it's a horror show. Yeah. Like, it's a, the actual Gallipoli invasion is a success. The Gallipoli campaign isn't, but the, the invasion is a success because they can get up off the beaches. It's a slaughterhouse as... Heaps of Brits, heaps of Anzacs are just kind of mauled to death by the Turks who have the high ground. Seen Gallipoli? I have. The Channel 9 one? I, is that different to the one with Mel Gibson? 
It is. Oh, no, I've seen the one with Mel Gibson. We got played yeah. that numerous times. Really? They didn't school. play it for school. Oh, that, really? Yeah, the one with Mel Gibson's older. But then Channel 9 did like a, a mini series. No. Called Gallipoli as well. Is it like, how's that? But for. It's well, a bit more, uh, what's the word? Somber? I drive though. Now, here's the thing Andrew Fisher does know about Gallipoli, but he's informed about Gallipoli on April the 26th. Mm. He has no idea that Gallipoli is going to happen until after it happens. So, British High Command kind of are like, oh, just as a courtesy, just letting you know this happened. He's like, what? <laughs> like, as the Prime Minister of Australia, how do I not know about that? Mm. Has there been a time in your life where, <laughs> where you were the last to know something you should have been the first to know? Yeah, I feel like... I think it's happened a couple of times. I feel like I have a real knack of being the last to find out that like a close friend has broken up with a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's happened enough times for it to be like, why does this keep happening? Um I remember once we were like sitting in like in a car about we were about to leave your your twenty first actually cam, I think. And then I was I was yapping away. I happened to be like have earlier in that day been in the suburb that my mate's girlfriend or who I thought was his girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was in such and such. I might have seen such and such and this sort of silence fell upon the car. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing. <laughs> oh. I was in the car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awkward. 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 Yeah. Never, a, never, a, a, never a great feeling. At least. At also l- kind at of funny. At least in that scenario. <laughs> it's funny to look back on now, you know. The, the order of command is correct in the sense that the guy, get, the guy who had broken up had informed you who was not a party of relationship. He actually the relationship was over. Inform me. I just, I just found out from someone else. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Is this like a, like I was a, like. Waiting for the pin to drop. <laughs> is this like a roundabout, like a like a back, like in an interview where you answer your weakness with greatest strength? Of effectively, Ben's just revealed that he rises above gossip. And <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. I'd love to know. <laughs> Someone just told me, like I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but at least in that scenario, the order of command is correct. Can you imagine if it was the other way around, where Ben yeah. had informed this person that his girlfriend had 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 no longer, or that, that they're no longer in a relationship together. Yeah, I mean, that would just make no sense. What do you mean? Is it but like- that's Andrew Fisher's situa- okay. situation. And that right. he's yep, been yep. told by Britain that his soldiers have invaded Gallipoli. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, okay. I see. I think we've got there. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, man. That's- <laughs> I do remember in primary school of this guy's at PSA state football and he like... The, the rumour had spread that his year five girlfriend was going to break up with him when he comes back. Oh, that is grim, mate. And so that poor is... guy is just like slaving away, like representing the school for, like with pride, giving great honour to, to all of us. And everyone knows that when he gets back, he's going to get dumped by this girl. Oh. Um, it was it was heartbreak for him. Yeah, um, that happened that happened a bit in primary school, didn't it? Just the old like <laughs> announcement at the break. I was like, I'm going to do it. And the, everyone was like, oh, no, no, no. The order, yeah, the order of command was really like... Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then um, maybe one afternoon you get to listen to the, the radio in class and Teo Cruz, I'm only going to break your heart playing. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's just singing it. <laughs> that person who's got their heart broken. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to dump her anyway. Yeah. Um, 
I did get I did get advice from a friend in high school who said if you even get a whiff of the fact that your girlfriend's going to break up with you, just get in there first. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that preserving dignity. <laughs> you have absolutely nothing to lose because you're not going to be able to talk her out of it. Um, you're going to only kick the can down the road if you're going to try and talk her out of it at mm. best. So get in there first. Could take control of the narrative <laughs> and and walk Wisdom. away in a position of power. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, that's that's healthy. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, look, fair to, fair to say that Andrew Fisher's position as being the person in authority was fairly undermined by this whole process. Yeah, basically, like British High Command, they went to ask Dad rather than to ask Mum, mm. and they knew they had better <laughs> success. They went to this. They went behind Fisher's back to the Australian High Command. Glipley happens. It's an unsuccessful campaign where we eventually have to evacuate, and it's it's. Quite interesting. We actually, I don't know if you cover if you, in history of cricket, they actually played a pretend game of cricket to while while they were evacuating everyone else to try and give the Ottomans the impression that oh we're kind of just chilling here. That was one of the reasons why like they do a pilgrimage to Gallipoli. Like the Australian cricket team often does a pilgrimage to Gallipoli. I feel like I've seen a a, a, f- a photo, perhaps of. Someone capturing a game of cricket there, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they're staging the so game. It was recreation. It was recreation, right? When the they went there in the test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what's actually happening is that the Anzacs are getting on boats and getting out of there. Mm. But they're trying to. They're not. They're trying to have the Turks think that they're in no hurry to leave. Yeah. So they they go they go ahead and, and, and they do that. But Fisher's position is so undermined that he can no longer be in charge of Australia. And so in October of 1915, Andrew Fisher resigns. As Prime Minister. Hmm. Two conspiracies here. Num- or three conspiracies. Number one, the guy that replaced him is a guy called Billy Hughes. Mm-hmm. Heard of that name before? Yeah. Mm. Okay, Billy Hughes was actually actually took him down, but he wanted Fisher to be able to save face. So he let Fisher resign. Again, thinking, like, I'll let you break up with me rather than yeah. <laughs> to, to save a bit of face. Perhaps unlikely. The other one is that Andrew Fisher had early onset dementia and needed to step down for health reasons because mm. after that he goes senile pretty quickly. That's probably the one I lean towards. Conspiracy number three is because he had a, a job as the High Commissioner to London set up for him after he left office. Jobs for the boys. He was keen to kind of get on that John Barilaro train. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Given how quick his decline is, he actually can't enjoy that job for very long. Mm. Sad. So Fisher's gone and Billy Hughes is in. And Billy Hughes goes on to have pretty decent amount of power by far the Australian Prime Minister up until that point of history that had the longest run in office. So Billy Hughes comes in. There are some reports that in his first months of office during a major war, he used that time to write a novel. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't find it. I heard it in a podcast. I couldn't find sources that verified this. I'm not saying this happened as gospel, but I do love this as just an anecdote if it happened to be true. It's just there he is in in his office, just the day my bum went psycho. <laughs> Which is a more worthy, has withstood the test of time far more than World War I has. Like, worthy contribution to the culture of Australia, if you ask me. Um, but in 1916, he goes to the UK to basically say to the UK, hey, don't forget about us. When it comes to the negotiating table after the war, remember who sent you soldiers. Don't forget about us. Hmm. And he has a really good relationship with the Prime Minister at the time, who's a, a guy called Herbert Asquith. He then goes to the Western Front and he gets in the trenches with the boys. Huh. Now, I'm not the front line of the trenches, I'm assuming. Mm. But in the suit. Sorry? In the suit. In the suit. 
and there's they, we've, we've got video footage of it actually. It's pretty it's pretty funny to watch. And so he gets like thrown up on, on soldiers' um, shoulders. He's called the Little Digger because um, he's quite quite short in stature, um, and his his PR is very strong. Hmm. Like um, remember when Albo went to like the Ukrainian war zone, and he like had like the the bulletproof vest on. Hmm. And then remember when Skomo did it in Israel like a couple months ago. Like so, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I do remember that. Um, yeah. Again, like there's there's a very clear image that's trying to be presented here of like yeah. I need to see what's happening on the front lines. I'm not scared. But the Western Front is stuck in a stalemate. 1916, there are attempts to break the stalemate. You might have heard of the Battle of Verdun before. That was a German attempt to break the stalemate. You might have heard of the Battle of the Somme, which was the British counterattack to break that stalemate. You might have heard of the Battle of Passchendaele, which mm-hmm. was... Battle. All battles covered in modern history. All battles, yeah, so Hitler actually fought in that one, in the Battle of Passchendaele as well. Mm-hmm. They're all unsuccessful. Passchendaele has some has, has, has some minor successes, but Verdun and the Somme are particularly unsuccessful mm. at breaking the stalemate. So, we need more soldiers. Mm. How do you get more soldiers? Conscription. Conscription. Mm. So, Billy, yeah, every time we mention conscription <laughs> on the podcast, it's real, a real hobby horse of men's of like, boo. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you tell me what to do? We do have conscription. So the Liberal Party voting base was quite supportive of conscription. Again, we're fighting for Britain here. Like this is mm-hmm. this is do or die. The Labour Party's not. And it's not because they're scared to die. Like that's a, I think that's a bit of a misnomer. Their concern is actually kind of a little bit more racist <laughs> than that. Theirs is we're going to get sent abroad and they're going to need people to work the factories. So what's going to happen is they're going to bring people in from like Indonesia and whatnot. They're going to replace us in the factories and then we're going to come back and they're going to take our jobs. We don't want Indonesians taking our jobs. Boo, conscription. Hmm. That's that's more their line of argument. And so basically Billy Hughes is up against it because he wants to introduce conscription, but his own party doesn't want it. Hmm. And it actually becomes a huge debate in the party. There's actually one person in the Labor Party that you definitely know of who makes his big break by going against Billy Hughes on this. Is it Jack Lang? Jack Lang. Hmm. So Jack Lang gets his big break by opposing Billy Hughes on the grounds of conscription. But Billy Hughes wants conscription. So in 1916, he proposes a vote to the Australian people. This is not a referendum because it's not a change to the constitution. It was a plebiscite. Hmm. But they use the word referendum a lot. So it gets pretty confusing while studying. They call it a referendum. It is unsuccessful. Would, the, would it have been binding if it was a plebiscite? Because, no. Yeah. Okay. Like, so it's, but it's, just like, just as a mandate to go and do it, hmm. and it only won, it only just won by the beerest of margins. Probably need to do it and for me and said, <laughs> <laughs> the beerest of margins. Um, <laughs> what's that well, from? Uh, 2019 World Cup. Ian Smith. Ian Smith. New Zealand. Ben Stokes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, England have won it. I don't know. Does he say that? Yeah, I think what so. What does he say? He said he had a good line after the the Windies last week. I don't know. I forget what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy just watching Shamar yeah, Joseph there for like, the, yeah, with his broken toe, mate. <laughs> like wheel around the whole gabba. Oh, fantastic! Incredible! Fantastic! <laughs> we we're all going for West Indies in that one, right? Just, uh, no, we weren't actually going for Australia. Let's be real. Like, oh, I think I, if Steve Smith gets one hundred not out and we win, that I like that. Like that's. That's good on my eyes, I think. Yeah. I, I wasn't really following it too closely, <laughs> but when I saw the limbs, I was I was happy for them. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I think 
The sport needs that more than us yeah. winning. <laughs> yeah. Um, seeing Adam Gilchrist hug Brian Lara, oh, that was yeah, that, yeah. that was moving. Yeah. Um, anyway, 1916, it's a failure. So Billy Hughes is stuck because he's like, we we said that we would do this and now we can't because people said no. And it's going to look really bad. Because you guys said, I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy Hughes is like, okay, what are your options here? Let's put it on the table. Listen to the people. Yeah, we, we, we could do that. <laughs> that is one choice. It's, I get that that's sort of the crux of what we do around here. But, but, but. <laughs> I hear, I understand where you're coming from. I, am I right in saying that from your point of view, you don't want people to die in the Western Front? I hear that and I totally validate that concern. But <laughs> have you thought about having another referendum? <laughs> it was like after. No, 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 no. He- you're not. You're not hearing me. You're not. <laughs> I'm trying to be civil here. I'm, try, I'm trying to be civil. You're being <laughs> after Brexit. When um, obviously when Brexit went through. Now I'm not. I as a British person on the broad spectrum, I probably would have voted Remain because I think it's better to negotiate as a collective unit, as a union, rather than as a sole trader. But whoa. <laughs> that being said. Brexit means Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that being said. Just revealing a bit there, Ken. Um, the people, like, after that, the amount of people that were like, we need a second referendum. So I remember, like, John Oliver getting up there, like, there was misinformation, it was racism, we need a second referendum. And, like, like wow, people are really going to be like, I was misinformed and racist, now I'll change my mind. Like, <laughs> like, clearly that's, that's how people are going to react. That's not bad, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that you've educated me. Like, this is idiotic. Like, yeah. once, once it's gone through, you're going to get a bigger counter-reaction. Mm. And when, because they hadn't done Brexit at that point, because the... Like they had the they had one set of EU elections before they left. When we were over there, might I add, mm. the EU referendums were just filled with the Brexit Party. So obviously, like that's them effectively saying we agree with what we did the first time. So the second referendum isn't a success either, and it's not good for Billy Hughes. He's t- tried twice. Mm. He's Billy Hughes, oh and two, could take personal responsibility for the loss, <laughs> but he blames Labor. Mm. He's like, you know what the problem is? The problem is Labor. But so your, your labour, no, no, no. The problem's labour. What he does is he then leads roughly about twenty-four members. So Labour's only got forty-two in Parliament. So Fisher gave them forty-two in Parliament. Billy Hughes takes twenty-four of them and creates the Nationalist Labour Party. Mm-hmm. So now you've got the Liberals, Labour, and Nationalist Labour. We're back to the issue of having three parties mm-hmm. again. This is mm-hmm. just what we solved. Like Deakin gave us fusion. Like this is. <laughs> So what he goes and does is he then merges with the Liberal Party and they become the Nationalist Party. Oh, okay. The reason why Menzies, when they they would eventually become the UAP later down in line, the reason why Menzies was keen to go back to the name the Liberal Party was because he didn't like the Labour infestation of Nationalist Mm. and then the UAP. But then they didn't go on to become the Nationals. Is that something else? Yes, and we will come on to the Nationals today. Okay. So a lot of Jam, Dom, a lot of John Barilaro links in this uh, mm-hmm. in this in this little pod. So and he leads Nationalist Labour. Eventually, if we go through 1917 and into 1918, in 1918 America gets involved in the war and they kind of help seal the deal as Germany has to concede defeat. That puts Hughes in an interesting situation because he then gets to go represent us at the Imperial War Cabinet where they decide what are we going to do with Germany. Now, let's be real, Australia is not a powerful negotiator at this table. We're not coming in with heaps of chips that we can play. But 
Hughes had a good relationship with Herbert Asquith and they were on good terms, so he was hoping that that could play in his favour. The issue was Herbert Asquith was gone and now a guy called David Lloyd George was in. Mm. And so, not to be confused with Boy George. I would, <laughs> or David Lloyd. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's where my head went. I was. Bumble. <laughs> yes. So, basically, he gets he enters the war cabinet and he's got to kind of think, what are, what, what are my concessions here? The biggest concern for Australia is Japan getting German colonies near Australia because Japan helped fight on our side. They took islands like North Micronesia off of the Germans and they were concerned that Japan would get all those little Pacific islands that would be close to us. So Hughes comes in and he's like, okay, Japan can have north of the equator. We we don't want anything north of the equator. But what we need is we need everything south of the equator. You give us New Guinea, you give us Nauru, you give us Samoa. And basically he comes in and say, all these colonies that Germany's losing, we need. Woodrow Wilson is not a fan of this. He's the president of America at the time. Mm. Woodrow Wilson has 14 peace points. One of those peace points is the idea of self-determination, that countries can determine their own outcomes. We discussed this in the Iraq podcast. Yes, we did. And basically, Woodrow Wilson kind of says to him, like, what are you going to do about it? You're Australia. What Woodrow Wilson says to him is, like, the whole Allied war effort, we're looking at a population of about 1.2 billion people. You made up 5 million of those 1.2 billion. Hmm. What are you going to do about it? And basically he goes, I don't stand with 5 million. I stand with 60,000 dead. And basically his argument is you did not, your people did not die for this war at anywhere near the same level that our people did. Hmm. Don't lecture us on what to do. And it's kind of this mic drop moment at the conference where Billy Hughes is like, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take, yeah. take that from you. Yeah. Like, hmm. like, go away, go away. Hmm. Not having that. And basically, he needs him and Woodrow Wilson. Their relationship becomes quite frosty. Wilson becomes hmm. incredibly frustrated with Billy Hughes because Billy Hughes is adamant. He's like, "We get the colonies. Not no self determination. We need control of Nauru. We need control of Samoa. We need control of hmm. German New Guinea." And so at that conference, he needs to throw a bone for Woodrow to Woodrow Wilson. So Japan walk into the, the the conferences, and Billy Hughes says to them, "Yep, we're fine with you having." like Micronesia, anything north of the equator, we're fine with. Japan goes, okay, cool, cool, cool. We're not asking for much here. We just want one other thing. One more thing. Can we have a clause that says all races are equal? Mm. Just putting that out there as an idea. Mm. Like, that, that's what we want. Yeah. Billy Hughes goes, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you would want us? I, I get it. I, <laughs> Believe me, I'm not racist. Like if anyone's, if anyone's, if anyone hates racism, it's me. Yeah, I'm not racist, but <laughs> um, Hughes and Wilson team up to ta- to veto that. Yeah. Sorry, on what grounds? What's what's Hughes' argument there? So for Britain, Britain is very much of the belief. So Britain what likes it, and we often think of Britain as being the racist one. Britain, because they, they've got a, a multiracial empire in like the Caribbean and India, Britain wants free movement across the empire. Yeah. Because that is, that's going to help them. If they need you know, people with skilled work that are in India, but they need them to go to the Caribbean, they want free movement across the empire. So Britain wants this to go through. And America and Australia torpedo it. What would America's argument against racial, uh, contextually, why would America not want this to be a cause? Because they're still segregated in society, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that completely undermines everything they're doing in the South. Wilson, to be fair to him, it's not just a matter of Wilson being being racist. This is also a matter of trying to keep the Union together. The Civil War is in living memory. 
Hmm. He does not want to heave off the South for no reason. What's it for? Like for just a cause. And so he wants to be able to come back to them and be like, look, we represent you as well. We don't agree with your segregation uh, policies and practices, even though he kind of did, but just the government more broadly, we're not going to throw you under the bus here. And he does not want another Confederacy to pop up. Mm. So there's contextual, there's more contextual factors at play for Australia. We don't have the same luxury to kind (laughs) of be able to explain it away with a civil war. We were doing the white white Australia policy. Yeah, sure. And so basically Hughes is like, yeah, like we'll support that because that, the whole idea that, that races aren't equal um, and can't provide equal labour for a country, that actually endorses what our policy is with the white Australia policy. And Billy Hughes and Woodrow Wilson, together, they go, I hear you, but no, mm. not now. Again, we fast forward 20 years, Japan's only slightly angry at <laughs> the way they were treated by the West. Can't get enough of the nostalgic Aussie references. Wait a second, this is in HP. <laughs> the teacher just rips it off. And <laughs> well, I've got good news. You can get access to 30 additional podcasts with new editions regularly. There's stricter regulations on that than buying a gun from the US states. For just $1.50, you can hear about Ben's school captain campaign, Cam crying about getting a participation in the ICAS computer test, and P. Never getting his pen license. She's thought that. No, the guy's name is. It is McDonald's. <laughs> it's, it's written down. It's written, we looked at it. I would have liked to see the bar. Like, it takes two seconds to sign up. You mentioned uh, Boy George before. <laughs> In your mind, who are the four voices? Who are the four judges on the voice? This is an outstanding question <laughs> and a worthy tangent. Uh, okay, so. Guy Sebastian is too... He jumps between too many different ones for me to associate him with one in particular. Guy Sebastian's maybe X Factor for me more than The Voice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also just find his personality rather dislikable. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) Um, I find him slightly pretentious. Okay, so I'm going Guy Sebastian's off. Delta Goodrum, I'm not a huge fan of. She was engaged to Brian McFadden, who I am a fan of, so I will <laughs> to get some points on that front. I think Delta's part of the fabric at The Voice. I'm, I reckon she's the only lock. No, I reckon there's two more locks. Oh, they, okay. they had fleeting stints, but they, their legacy lives on. Yeah. Seal. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Keith Urban actually has to be on there as well. Keith. Is that... That's three? Yeah. So then we've got one more spot, probably for... A, no, uh, who, you didn't put Delta on. He didn't put Delta on his... No, I, I, I'll have Delta, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So, fantasy, fantasy voice. <laughs> the voice with the first big of the I voice I think we're going to agree Can on the last longer? one. What's that? I don't think we will, actually. You should say it at the same time. Okay. okay. Three, two, one. Joel, Joel Madden. Madden. <laughs> <laughs> Joel. <laughs> That's just the original four. <laughs> Shout out to Jason Derulo. I think he's a. it was a good addition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think, mean, like... I need to see some good Charlotte representation. Yeah. Mainly my Joel main... and Benji or just Joel? Uh, just I'm up for just Joel. Joel okay. has more of an Australian affiliation. Mm-hmm. Benji also um, dated Hilary Duff when Hilary Duff was like 15 or 16 it was, and he was like 25. Yeah. It was a little bit weird. I, I still can't. Mm. Is he with, he's with Cameron Dowes now though, isn't he? I don't know. So I feel like one both of them have had some interesting relationship pasts or current. Yeah. Uh, is Joel is Joel married to an Australian, a famous Australian? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, but put this like put it this way. Yeah, why I would go for Joel Madden over Jason Duello over Boy George or any of the others? Jess Mowboy. Jess Mowboy. I do get Rita it creates Aura. a slight gender imbalance of like seventy five percent men, twenty five percent female. I okay. do think it's offset by the fact 
that he has a song that features in the movie The Pacifier. Who does? Joel. Good Charlotte does. Good Charlotte, yeah. The anthem. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. And where Vin Diesel's like, good. Yeah. Now do it in reverse. As she like passes <laughs> a driving test. <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, do, 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 Yeah, and brilliant. Yeah, pretty good soundtrack of like Peter Panda dance. Like you got mm. a few few bangers on 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 that 2005 yeah. movie. So I think I'd have to settle for, for oh, those yeah. four. I think I think Joel Seal and Delta have to be there. Keith, you probably want another Australian, and he's probably the best that you're gonna get. And I then think. The, you, if you want another Australian, and then who's who's the host? If you're playing fantasy, the voice Mc, McMullen, right? <laughs> Darren McMullen. Who's the, who's Has the, he always been the host? Is Sonia Kruger, was she? Or she shows got talent. Sonia Kruger. No, I think Sophie it, Monk? No, oh, Sophie Monk. I think I'd actually... I know they haven't done this. I think I'd have to go Grant Daniel. Okay. I know he's... <laughs> if I'm a TV exec, I'm doing a sideways move for him onto... Yeah. I know they're not the same TV channel. Um, but yeah, I mean, La Paglia is good, right? True. Yeah. I think as well, we've also got to factor in that PY will feature on Deal or No Deal at some point this year, <laughs> if you help us. Um, I did see you know, a little spike in some, some foreign viewership this week. Um, yeah, shout out to... We got we got a viewer from Scranton, so shout out to our, our oh, Scranton wow. Strangler viewer. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, no, I think we, we've been we've grown in the Bristol market as well. So okay. Brilliant. Um, if you do want to watch an Australian early evening TV show, we will get PY on Deal or No Deal if you continue to share this podcast with your friends. Ben, do you have anything to add? No, I, I wasn't an avid voice watcher and I, I feel like I couldn't add any more to what just happened. I think that was a beautiful moment for the pod. So Billy Hughes comes home and he's greeted by massive crowds of just like, this guy, this this guy has, has done it for us. Like, like, mm. like again, uh, Pat Cummins coming home from the World Cup was the most unworthy homecoming for mm. what was an incredible cricketing achievement, mm. where I was just at the airport with Starkey doing a few few questions, but the one that, like one of, I don't know if you remember seeing it was when Croatia finished second at the 2018 World Cup. Mm. Yeah. That homecoming for them, like the bus parade oh, and stuff, yeah, it was incredible. So Billy Hughes gets that reception coming home. Yeah, oh, how good are those World Cup? Parades. Mm. Killian Mbappe. Oh, that song. Yeah. <laughs> ale, ale. They, ale. Yeah, great song. Yeah. Engolo. Engolo. Gante. Um, so, yeah, Billy Hughes comes home to that sort of reception and they're like, yeah, this guy, like, save white Australia. Like, this is like. Vamos. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, he then lost the military quite quickly. The reason why was he didn't give a five year tax exemption which is what they thought they were getting coming home to Australia. Hmm. Fair enough, you've been blown to pieces. A little tax rebate for your nation, (laughs) (laughs) considering some of the other ways people skirt around tax. Um, And he didn't give it to him. And 1919 election, uh, he wins. So the nationalists pick up 37 seats. Labor picks up 26. And the parliament's been expanded so much so that the country party picks up 11 seats. Hmm. And so... If you don't have the country party on board, it's it's 37-37. With the country party, it's 48-26. So they govern in coalition with the country party. And the country party has just popped up like pretty much off the back of fusion. And a lot of them left when the protectionists became the fusion party and became the liberal party. A lot of the rural states were like, no, 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 no. Like we do not want free trade on our like, we voted protectionists, not free traders in. And so they formed their own party called the Country Party. And then their job was to try and have tariffs get put into policy to protect, like, the sheep industry in rural Queensland or whatever. 
Follow me so far. Mm-hmm. Now, Billy Hughes gets a couple more years in office. I'm just going to rush through some some very brief policy changes. He f- he begins the CSIRO. Oh, good on him. Science. Yes. He pushes for an Anglo-Japanese alliance that he's a part of. Now, that might seem surprising considering he effectively raised the middle finger to Japan hmm. in the peace conferences, but he knows that it's better for them to be at peace in the Pacific rather than at war in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. He announces a war on petrol. A war on petrol? war on petrol. And he sets up the Commonwealth Oil Refineries, which is this kind of like government-funded um, oil refinery, which was also funded by BP as well. And he kind of credits that for lowering oil prices by about 60%. But obviously, it costs a lot of taxpayer money to then hmm. go and, and subsidize that. He put in a lot of tariffs, and that was because the country party was pressuring him to do so. But he got the yips, and he started to feel as though he could lose his seat in Bendigo. And instead, he wanted a safe Liberal Party seat. So he went for North Sydney, hmm. a pretty well trodden path. Yeah. Although North Sydney went teal. More. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I'm going to fast forward then to our final chapter of the Billy Hughes story, the 1922 election. So, these are the the results. Labor has the most. They get 29. The Nationals get 26. The Country Party gets 14. Once again, we are back to a Mm three-party merry-go-round. It's a three-way tie. Yes. But if two of them team up, they can take down the other one. And so the, the the last deal was that Billy Hughes would partner with and the Nationalists would partner with the Country Party. That was the, the deal that was there before. Mm-hmm. Billy Hughes was like, yeah, no worries. We'll just do that again, right? And Earl Page, the leader of the Country Party, was like, well, I have one request. Billy Hughes was like, go on, go on. Like, I'm happy. We've worked pretty well so far. Mm. Earl Page goes, yeah, I, like, again, I hear you. I hear that you want to govern <laughs> in power. I've got one request. You're not the leader. Oh. <laughs> First, ouch. That is, yeah. <laughs> Second. <laughs> no, no, no offense. No. <laughs> uh, believe me, I, I fought for you. I tried, tried going to the country party saying, no, we need Billy Hughes, but yeah, they just won't have it. So yeah. my hands are no, tied. No, I'm not, cry- I'm not crying. No, <laughs> no I'm not. <laughs> so basically, Billy Hughes goes, no. Hmm. Govern, he says to them, govern with labor. Go do it. They're not going to because um, they, they they don't want to govern with Labor. They had a good thing going with the free traders last time. And they know mm-hmm. that if they're with Labor, a whole lot of like more union stuff will be pushed through, which will be bad for the kind of huge farms that, that fund the nationalist part, or fund the country party, I should say. So basically, they kind of have this standoff and it goes for about three months. If you're in the nationalist party and you find out about this deal and this ultimatum that's been put to the nationalist party... How would you feel if you're just just your average nationalist party uh, politician? Well, you just want him to take it because, you know, at least you get to stay in power and you just have to have one sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Set aside your ego, Billy. Come yeah. On. Come on. Yeah. Mm. You've, um, you've had you've had your fun. You know, you you got a wartime degree. Yeah. <laughs> Great English. Yeah. yeah. So basically, they they no I in team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they um, it was like when. I, like last year, it was actually at the exact time we did our first podcast because it was the Australia-South Africa test at the SCG. Kwaja stranded on 196, 195 not out. 
and day three is just a total washout. Mm-hmm. And so people are talking like, oh, should Cummins declare here so they get a good bowl at South Africa and, you know, try and knock them over? Um, and Kawaja's out there being like, just talking to the press, they're like, oh, do you reckon Cummins will declare? He's like, nah, surely he won't. And he's just trying to put pressure on 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 Cummins not to declare so he can get his double century. Then eventually Cummins ends up declaring because it just keeps getting washed out and washed out and they need to have a shot at South Africa. And so Kawaja's just like, let this be known. There is no I in team. And he like frames it as <laughs> all the kids out there, the team comes first and he's just completely reframed it as <laughs> alas. Three months goes on. Uh, there's too much pressure within the Nationalist Party. Billy Hughes eventually steps down. Mm. In return, we have a new guy who comes up to the leadership. His name is Stanley Bruce. He's mm-hmm. in for about seven years, but no one, no one really knows yeah, him. Yeah, the name rings a bell, but very vaguely. Yeah. So Stanley Bruce plays his cards perfectly. So he, like, again, we'll, we'll do this in a separate episode, but he, like, gets beaten two days before the Great Depression starts. Oh. So he just walks out being like, oh, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> How good was it under me? Um, <laughs> Look what I leave for yeah. one second. <laughs> Can we keep it clean for 10 minutes? <laughs> And eventually what happens is when Joseph Lyons dies, which we covered in the Menzies episode, and Menzies is favourite to come in, a lot of people in the UAP, because that's what the Nationalist Party ends up becoming, a lot of people in the UAP end up trying to parachute this guy Stanley Bruce back in to take on Robert Menzies. They also try and parachute Billy Hughes back in. He's been gone for like 17 years Mm. now. Yeah. Mm. And to add to the story, he... Survives World War One, survives the Roaring Twenties, survives the Great Depression. By by survive, I don't just mean physically survive. I mean in Parliament. Mm. Survives World War Two, survives Ben Chifley, survives a lot of Robert Menzies. Journeyman. He remains in Parliament until the age of ninety-two. What? Wow. He was half deaf before even coming <laughs> into Parliament. And so, like, he had to have this, like, really heavy heavy hearing aid on. And basically by 92, he can't hear a thing, but he's just having a good time (laughs) as an independent in the back benches. Just (laughs) sitting there, just... That's crazy. Getting paid to have a snooze and blank. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this is 92 in the 50s, not 92. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mm. so what, Biden right now, I'd be coming on 80 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine Biden in 12 years' time. (laughs) That's what Billy Hughes was. Mm. That's mental. And it goes to be said, like... That's to be finished. I can't see how being in Parliament would keep you pretty sharp. Mm. I can keep keep your mind very active. I can't I can see how that would happen. I can also see why Andrew Fisher went into cognitive decline very quickly after leaving office because you go from like, so you're going to station your soldiers here, here, here. You need to answer right yeah. now. And then eventually, like one day, I imagine you just stop caring entirely. <laughs> like, why does any of this even matter? Yeah. I just want to watch PYO deal or no deal. <laughs> <laughs> they say it's once you stop. <laughs> and then I can just see how you go, how your brain just goes to mush after that. Um, not for PY's episode, obviously, that'd be an intellectually <laughs> rigorous episode mm-hmm. of Deal or No Deal. But um, that is how the first Liberal and Labor, like when Liberal and Labor went up against each other the first time, that's how it happened. Conscription, crossing the floor, securing white Australia, fi- like f- founding the Commonwealth Bank and the CSIRO, mm. and then ultimately being done by the country party. And that would be a playbook that would remain in the country party playbook for a long time. So you have John Barilaro nearly blowing up Gladys's government. So the, the country then goes on to become the nationals as we mm. know yeah. today. In, yeah. Actually in Joe Bjorki-Peterson's era. 
So yeah. Joe Bjorki Peterson's oh, that's of, quite late. That's another the seventies. Yeah. Wait. Oh wait, who am I thinking of? Oh, I'm thinking of Eddie O'Bean. Eddie O'Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Joe Bjorki Peterson. I, I understandably why Joe Bjorki Peterson. Uh, his PR guy basically goes, well, the country party just means that no one's going to vote for you if you're not in the country. We can still get seats in regional areas like, like yeah, like like Mackay. We mm-hmm. can still get those seats if we just meet ourselves the national party instead. Hmm. There you go. And then we go from there. Billy Hughes. Probably in your top 10 most... If we were, if we were to play fantasy parliament, <laughs> probably in your most top 10 influential front benches in Australian history. Okay. Seems it. In future episode, I think we will have to play Fantasy Parliament. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll finish with just one. Who are you picking as your foreign minister in fa- Fantasy Parliament based off... I think we all know the answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, recency bias, certainly. Um, I'm picking Kevin. Are you guys uh, picking Kevin? Uh, Do you want to say it at the same time, Kevin? Yeah, go on. <laughs> Three, two, one. Evan Harry. Barton. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, Harry is in our friend Harry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't say how Harry and Edmund Barton would get confused. <laughs> Kindred spirits. Oh. All right, we should wrap it up there. Get PY on deal or no deal. Uh, sign up on the Patreon for just a dollar fifty a month, where you can get access to all sorts of bonuses, like the extra podcast, your choice in podcast topics, uh, your choice in v- future videos, uh, and an imposter for a video mm. on the main channel, plus access to the, the Patreon Q and A. Starts at just a dollar fifty a month. Mm. Cool. What a deal. Leave deal a rating. No Leave a rating if you yes. if you want we to. If you like it, did we? Oh, we did. thanks everyone who's yeah, done that. That's much appreciated. So to your last man and to your last shilling, <laughs> support us on Patreon. <laughs> I've been busting to go to the bathroom for the last ten minutes.